0: hello and welcome to the imagineer podcast your unofficial guide to all things disney i'm your host matthew krull and you're listening to episode 98 of the imagineer podcast in today's episode we're going to be talking about a beloved attraction an attraction that has been requested to share For years at this point since I started the show, and that attraction is Splash Mountain. Of course, this ride has such an iconic history, it has been a part of the Disney parks for over 30 years. Opening at Disneyland in 1989, and opening at the Magic Kingdom in Walt Disney World, and Tokyo Disneyland in 1992 with legendary Imagineer Tony Baxter at the helm, developing this attraction back in the 80s. As you know, we, of course, are always in for a treat because he has designed some of the most iconic and popular attractions from the second generation of Walt Disney Imagineering. So in today's episode, we're going to talk about the history of Splash Mountain, share some of the fun facts and details you might not have known before about this classic ride, and we'll also talk about the future of the attraction since it was announced back last year in June of 2020 that Splash Mountain would be updated to feature a storyline and characters and tunes from the famous Disney animated film The Princess and the Frog. Aside from this information, I'm also going to share a binaural audio recording so that we can experience the attraction together with the magic of 360-degree audio. And at the end of the episode, I'll come back and tell you a little bit more about how you can connect with the Imagineer podcast on all your favorite social media channels and how you can help to inspire and create the future of this show. So grab some headphones pull up your favorite armchair and enjoy this episode of the Imagineer podcast. When we think of iconic Disney attractions, experiences that are well known around the world, we often recall Walt Disney classics, like It's a Small World and Peter Pan's Flight, or we anxiously await our next visit to experience something new, like Avatar Flight of Passage or Star Wars Rise of the Resistance. Among the most popular attractions, the Magic Kingdom Mountain Range, which extends to Disneyland Park as well, includes some of the most well-known attractions in the world. In fact, we often debate with our family and friends which of the Magic Kingdom mountains, Space Mountain, Splash Mountain, or Thunder Mountain, or Matterhorn bobsleds, is our favorite. While it might not necessarily be your favorite mountain, it's hard to deny that Splash Mountain, the only Magic Kingdom mountain to technically not be a roller coaster, is one of the most popular and perhaps the most well themed. First opening at Disneyland Park on July 17, 1989, Splash Mountain was so popular that the Imagineers quickly decided to create not just one, but two more versions, which opened just a day apart. Splash Mountain at Tokyo Disneyland opened on October 1st, 1992, and Walt Disney World opened just a day later on October 2nd. While all three versions of this attraction follow the same storyline, subtle differences can be found in each, much like how Thunder Mountain is just a little bit different at each Magic Kingdom or Disneyland park around the world. For the attraction's success, we have to thank a legendary second-generation Walt Disney Imagineer, Tony Baxter. Starting at WED Enterprises in 1970, Tony learned from legendary Imagineers like Claude Coates, Mark Davis, and Marty Sklar. Perhaps he's best known for carrying the torch at WED Enterprises, taking the lessons from some of Disney's first-generation successes like Pirates of the Caribbean and the Haunted Mansion, and applying those principles to the latest ride technology and immersive storytelling. Under Tony's leadership, the Imagineers created such iconic attractions as Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, Star Tours, Indiana Jones Adventure, the original Journey into Imagination at Epcot, and even Disneyland Paris as a whole, where he served as the park's executive producer. We'll of course devote an entire episode to Tony's career in the future, as he certainly accomplished a great deal for Disney during his years at WED and continues to consult on new projects when available. Working alongside Tony were several Imagineers, but two who were with him from the very beginning included Imagineers Bruce Gordon and John Stone. Bruce was a show producer who worked on attractions like Star Tours, The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, Tarzan's Treehouse, and Finding Nemo's Submarine Voyage. John also worked on The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, and he helped to develop Indiana Jones Adventure and New Fantasyland. In Disney history, the timing of Splash Mountain couldn't have been any better, which was one of the many reasons for its success. In 1983, Disney was considering demolishing America Sings, a Mark Davis attraction that had replaced Disneyland's Carousel of Progress in 1974, but that didn't seem to drive enough attendance to be considered popular. At the same time, Dick Nunez, the former executive vice president of Disneyland, had suggested adding a water attraction to the park, looking to the popularity of log flumes at amusement parks around the country as a way to thrill guests and to keep them cool on those hot summer days. The timing of both of these ideas led Tony Baxter to brainstorm some possibilities. One day, while stuck in LA traffic on the way to work, Tony took the opportunity to dream up a new attraction he realized that Disney could create a water ride that would not only meet Dick Nunez's request, but also salvage Mark Davis's soon-to-be decommissioned animatronic characters from America Sings. Thinking of available space in Disneyland, the perfect spot seemed to be Bear Country, a land that had opened in 1972, just beyond New Orleans Square, but that didn't seem to be too popular for two reasons. One, it was located at a dead end of the park, And two, it only featured one major attraction, the Country Bear Jamboree. The concept of a log flume attraction utilizing Mark Davis's critter-based characters in a part of the park known as Bear Country brought Tony's attention to the 1946 Walt Disney film, Song of the South. Although the film had been met with quite a bit of controversy for its insensitive live-action portrayal of a reconstruction-era Georgia plantation, the animated sequences featured a story that could fit the theme of bear country, characters that could make use of the animatronics from America Sings, and songs that had become incredibly popular among Disney fans, especially Zippity-Doodah. When Michael Eisner became CEO of Disney in 1984, he was looking for ways to revitalize the parks, primarily focusing on thrill rides to drive up park attendance by expanding beyond families with young kids to families with teenagers, a group that was otherwise lost to competitors like Six Flags and local amusement parks. Tony pitched the idea for Splash Mountain to Michael And he loved the idea, not only for its potential to bring in his target audience, but also for its ability to save the company money by repurposing animatronics that would have otherwise been scrapped. At the time, Tony and his team had thought the attraction might be called Zippity River Run, which of course focused on the popular Song of the South tune. Michael felt that the name wasn't quite right and instead suggested they call it Splash Mountain, One reason for the name change would be to let guests, especially teenagers, know that there was a thrill aspect to the ride, the likelihood of getting wet. In addition, he felt that having Mountain in the name would better fit with the mountain range of the park, drawing some similarities to Space Mountain and Thunder Mountain to other thrill rides at the park. Finally, Michael wanted to use the name as a way to promote the 1984 touchstone film Splash, which was a romantic comedy starring Tom Hanks and Daryl Hannah about a man who falls in love with a mermaid who had saved his life as a young boy. Eisner had even suggested placing a mermaid somewhere in the attraction, but the character really didn't fit the storyline or the theme of the ride so it never came to be. Nevertheless, we have to thank Michael Eisner for giving us the beloved Splash Mountain name and for officially greenlighting the project. Construction began on the attraction a few years later, and the attraction formally opened on July 17, 1989, just in time for those hot summer days in Anaheim. With the attraction opening, Bear Country was renamed to Critter Country in 1988 to better reflect the overarching theme of the area, which now expanded beyond bears to include, well, lots of critters. Standing at 76 feet tall, Splash Mountain is tall enough to draw crowds from surrounding areas, but not quite tall enough to overshadow Sleeping Beauty Castle. The height of the mountain also serves a secondary purpose. It hides the massive show building that houses more than half of the attraction, a technique used at attractions like the Haunted Mansion, Indiana Jones Adventure, and Pirates of the Caribbean, creating a greater sense of mystery about the experience ahead. Unlike these other attractions, though, part of Splash Mountain's ride track is visible outside the ride. To most unsuspecting guests, the attraction appears to be just a couple of minutes long, like a traditional log flume that rises up a lift, makes a few turns, and proceeds down the main drop. What most don't realize is that the show building adds several minutes to the attraction, creating even greater value for the time spent waiting in line. In fact, Splash Mountain at Disneyland is nearly 10 minutes long and includes 3 drops over a half mile of track. At Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom, the attraction is the same track length, but includes 5 drops and is closer to 11 minutes in ride time. Tokyo Disneyland's version has the longest track length, a little more than half a mile, and includes four drops over the span of about 10 minutes. The US versions feature the same five-story plunge, a 52 and a half foot drop at a 47 degree incline, reaching a top speed of 40 miles an hour. Tokyo's version reaches the same speed, but has a slightly larger drop of 60 feet. While Tokyo and California's versions are each located in Critter Country, Florida's version is located in Frontierland, which required some changes to the mountain's color scheme and even its audio tracks, which have a more bluegrass sound to better fit the Frontierland theme. Another major difference between these three versions is the number of animatronics. California's version is packed with over 100 audio-animatronic figures, while Tokyo and Florida's versions each have 68. One final difference between the three versions is the log flume setup. At Disneyland, guests sit in a single file log that can seat six guests, kind of like a long rocket car from Walt Disney World's Space Mountain. In Tokyo and Florida's versions, guests are seated two guests per row, with four rows per log, for a total of eight guests per car. Disneyland's version, which cost $75 million to build and features 950,000 gallons of water, accomplished exactly what the Imagineers sought to achieve. It revitalized a part of the park that was otherwise lacking popular attractions, drove up park attendance, and made use of many of the America Sings animatronics, which serves as a great easter egg for Disney park historians. Its popularity is what soon drove Michael Eisner to order two new versions to be created, one at Tokyo Disneyland and one at Walt Disney World, which both opened the first week of October 1992. Not surprisingly, the attraction remains popular at both of these parks. Another version was considered for Disneyland Paris, but France's long and cold winters led Eisner to believe that the attraction would be avoided for several months of the year. Not surprisingly, the storyline of Splash Mountain is layered and intricate, a defining characteristic of every iconic Disney attraction. Drawing on themes like, there's no place to run away from trouble, there ain't no place that far, and everybody has a laughing place, Splash Mountain captures some of the lessons taught in Uncle Remus's stories from Song of the South, told in a fast-paced log flume dark ride attraction. To discuss some of the specifics, we'll turn to the Splash Mountain with the longest ride time and the most drops, the Magic Kingdom's version at Walt Disney World. Guests entering Splash Mountain first pass by the exterior of the attraction, where they catch a glimpse of the iconic five-story plunge, which serves as a weenie, a feature that beckons you forward, before you enter the queue. Entering the exterior portion of the queue, guests meander their way through a courtyard adorned with shady trees, birdhouses, hand-painted signs that tell you how to reach some popular characters in the story like Br'er Fox, Br'er Bear, and Br'er Rabbit, and of course some ambient bluegrass music to get you in the spirit of the attraction. Not too long after, you enter a two-story wooden barn house on the ground level, where you'll find some amazing set details, including barrels, boxes, horse saddles, lanterns, spare carriage wheels, milk jugs, jars of grain, farming tools, and other little details to get you immersed in the setting for the ride. Along the way, you'll also see signs warning of a 50-foot plunge ahead that will almost certainly get you wet. Assuming you're taking the traditional queue, you'll then head outside for a brief moment before proceeding up a set of stairs to the second floor, where you'll pass through a hallway that leads to the second story loft of the same barn house you passed just through, uh, through just a few minutes earlier. The loft offers a great view of the first level below, as well as the Frontierland station of the Walt Disney World Railroad. Aside from offering some great views of the surrounding area, the journey up to the second floor serves to help you cross over the ride track to enter the load side of the station. Making a quick right turn, you then enter the mountain itself as rock walls welcome you into a tunnel through the mountain that looks like it was likely bored out by a local critter. Those familiar with the attraction will also recall that this is the point where a cold blast of air conditioning first hits you, which makes it feel like you're really in a cave. I remember spending many days shivering in this part of the queue because how cold it can get, although it it honestly felt really refreshing on a hot summer day. It's also in this tunnel that you can first smell that familiar bromine water smell from the ride, one that many guests recall fondly. As you proceed through the tunnel, you'll find mentions of some more characters in the story, including a door for Br'er Frog, the narrator of the attraction, and pictures of Br'er Fox and Br'er Bear, the villains who are out to capture our hero, Br'er Rabbit. You'll also get a great view of the load area as you begin to descend down a series of ramps back to the first floor. And just before you reach the load area itself, a sign warns of your last chance to exit if you don't want to get wet. The load area itself looks a bit like a canyon with mountain rockwork on one side and a large barn on the other. The attraction loads and unloads two logs at a time, which helps to increase the efficiency of the attraction, which has a theoretical hourly throughput of over 2,500 guests per hour. Once the attraction begins, guests are first introduced to Brer Frog in a holding area just past the loading docks. The holding area properly spaces each log to keep guests safe during the attraction and avoid further backups during the ride, although they do occasionally happen. Br'er Frog, who's voiced by James Avery, perhaps best known for his role as Uncle Phil in The Fresh Prince of Bel Air, is the one who introduces the concept of the story, the idea that perhaps Br'er Rabbit might be asking for trouble and that sooner or later, Br'er Fox and Br'er Bear are going to catch that rabbit. Proceeding up a small incline, we then proceed around the main drop, watching a few logs plunge into the briar patch, warning us of the thrill that's just minutes ahead. As we round the end of the long right turn, we find ourselves awfully close to the side of the main drop. When it's timed just right, which seems to happen a lot, it's here that we perhaps get the most wet from the attraction, to add a bit of kinetic energy to those watching. Pressurized water cannons shoot gallons of water up and over the drop as each log flume plunges its way into the briar patch. These water cannons just happen to be angled perfectly, intentionally of course, to soak guests in logs passing around the outside of the drop. Not surprisingly though, Disney will often turn these water cannons off on colder days to ensure that guests don't get too wet when the weather isn't quite that warm. Once we pass this section of the ride, we proceed up a large lift through a mill toward the top of the mountain, then slowly meander our way around the back of the mountain as an instrumental version of How Do You Do slowly transitions us to the next portion of the ride. We pass by a sign for Brer Rabbit along with Brer Bear's home in the side of the mountain, before proceeding down our first drop, and Falls, which sends us down only about 10 feet but still manages to get us wet. It's at this point of the ride that we enter the main show building behind the mountain, which serves as the main dark ride section of the ride. Entering the show building, we're greeted by a number of critter animatronics, including singing frogs, birds, rabbits, raccoons, and more, who are all singing How Do You Do. As we round a curve, we catch our first glimpse of Br'er Fox and Br'er Bear, who are scheming up a way to finally catch that old Br'er Rabbit. To share some fun Disney trivia, Br'er Fox is voiced by J.D. Hall, who also voiced the Hall of Presidents for a period of time, and Br'er Bear at Disneyland is voiced by Nick Stewart, who was the original voice of Br'er Bear in Song of the South. At Walt Disney World, James Avery voiced the role of Br'er Bear, showing just how much of a role he has on that attraction. It's at this point that we also catch our first glimpse of Br'er Rabbit, who's voiced by Jess Harnell, a prolific voice actor best known for voicing Wacko from Animaniacs, Ironhide from Transformers, and hundreds of other characters from movies, shows, and video games. Jess also voices Mr. Bluebird and the vultures near the end of the ride. Moments later, we see Br'er Fox and Br'er Bear's first attempt at catching Br'er Rabbit to have failed. Rather than catching him in their trap, Brer Rabbit outwits his foes, which instead leaves Brer Bear caught in the trap, leading Brer Fox to try to get him out. It's also at this point that we hear Brer Rabbit talk about him heading to his laughing place, which transitions us to the next scene of the attraction. As we round another turn, we begin to hear the critters sing another famous song, Everybody Has a Laughing Place. What at first seems like a happy song, though, soon turns foreboding as we round a turn and find ourselves facing a dark cave. As the log in front of us disappears into pitch darkness, we hear screams, only further adding to the uncertainty of what lies ahead. Above the tunnel, we find Br'er Rabbit attempting to hide from Br'er Fox and Br'er Bear, who can be seen on the side of the waterway attempting to get up toward him. As we enter the dark cave, we then enter what's probably the most intense drop sequence, ironically though not the tallest, the flume Plummets down a drop in complete darkness and then proceeds back up a shorter, shallower incline, followed by another quick dip into our next scene. The log moves so quickly at the bottom of the drop that the trip back upward is completely powered by gravity, which is why I often call this part of the attraction the uh, quote unquote roller coaster part of the ride. Although, of course, Splash Mountain is still not in any way considered to be a roller coaster, but rather a log flume. As our log slows back to its regular speed, we find ourselves in a cave filled with bees and beehives. While Br'er Rabbit is once again managing on his own just fine, we see Br'er Bear's nose stuck in a beehive as Br'er Fox tries as best as he can to hold onto a beehive so he can place it over Br'er Rabbit's head. Of course, Br'er Fox's attempt only leaves him in pain as the bees in the hive start to sting him we proceed down another short drop and find ourselves at the very base of the attraction, meandering our way through another series of caverns as critters continue to sing, everybody has a laughing place. Perhaps my favorite detail in this scene is the jumping jumping fountains, which jump around and over the vehicles, adding a lot of kinetic energy to the room. In Walt Disney World's version, a possum hanging upside down from the ceiling then provides another easter egg for the attraction, shouting the letters FSU in a high-pitched voice, a subtle little tribute to Florida State University. Meanwhile, at the Disneyland version, the mood turns grim as we enter a scene not available in Florida, a mother possum, voiced by Disney voice actor B.J. Ward, singing Burroughs Lament as she warns her children of the dangers ahead for Br'er Rabbit. As we approach the final, foreboding lift up the length of the mountain through an ominous cave, we see that Br'er Fox has finally caught a nervous Br'er Rabbit, warning him he's not getting away this time. From there, we see a pair of sinister vultures in top hats, warning guests that their laughing place is right up here. We proceed up the lift as a dramatic, villainous medley leads us up five stories. As we approach the top, we then hear one of several possible ways that Br'er Fox plans to kill Br'er Rabbit, from skinning him to roasting him. Fortunately, Br'er Rabbit has a plan to once again outsmart his duo. He begs and pleads that Br'er Fox do anything, anything other than throw him into the Briar Patch. They take the bait, and not only does Br'er Rabbit fly into the briar patch, but we do too, getting one final view over the park before plummeting five stories into the briar patch along the main drop, which many might not know is called Chickapin Hill. Another fun piece of Disney trivia is as you're climbing the lift, just towards the very top, the rock formation on the left-hand side actually makes Mickey's profile, which is a very clever Hidden Mickey, hard to see, and you can only see it again at the very top as you're approaching the top. If you look on the left-hand side, you can see Mickey's nose, um, sort of as if he's looking toward your right, um, placing into the middle of the opening of the cave. Very cool, look for it next time you're there. Of course, at this point, the music becomes much lighter as an instrumental version of zippity Doodah sends us around the outside of the mountain. We then head into another cave at the base of the mountain where we enter our final show scene, a showboat filled with characters celebrating as they sing zippity Doodah," one of the most popular Disney songs of all time. As we reach our happy ending, we see that Br'er Fox and Br'er Bear have gotten themselves trapped and pricked by the thorny briar patch. Meanwhile, Br'er Rabbit has finally realized that home sweet home is the lesson today as he sings along with Mr. Bluebird. From there, we get one final reminder that everything is satisfactual as we head toward the unload dock, make our way past our photo taken on the main drop, and into the gift shop. With such a layered story, whimsical characters, catchy tunes, thrilling ride sequences, and memorable moments, it's no surprise that Splash Mountain has remained popular with guests over the last 30 years. It's truly a Disney classic, one that generation of fans continue to share with their families. Of course, as times change, so do Disney attractions. Even the most popular and iconic of attractions have undergone changes over the years, a philosophy Walt himself believed would keep the parks relevant, popular, and evolving. It's why he even had Tomorrowland at Disneyland refurbished even just a few years after after it opened, and why he was always looking for ways to update the technology and the stories of his attractions. The Imagineers today have continued to keep that legacy alive by updating attractions like Tower of Terror at Disney California Adventure Park to Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout, Maelstrom at Epcot to Frozen Ever After, El Rio del Tiempo at Epcot to Grand Fiesta Tour, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea at Magic Kingdom to New Fantasyland, Horizons to Mission Space, Food Rocks to Soren, and countless others. While there's always a bit of resistance met with each one of these announcements, the Imagineers have proven themselves time and time again to be worthy of our trust, as the majority of these new experiences have not only been deemed an improvement over what was in their place previously, but also wildly popular, even with the most nostalgic and sentimental Disney fans. For that reason, despite the immediate uproar and calls for petitions on June 25th, 2020, when Disney announced that Splash Mountain would soon be replaced by a Princess and the Frog attraction, my immediate reaction was one of excitement and optimism. While some still hope that Disney might revoke their decision to update Splash Mountain, I hope you'll take a moment to hear my perspective on this change. Beyond my trust in the Imagineers for many of the examples provided just a few moments ago, It's worth noting that Tony Baxter himself has emerged from retirement to work on this project. Working alongside a supremely talented Imagineer, Charita Carter, a senior creative producer who helped bring Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway to life, Tony has shown an innate ability to create classic attractions, as has Charita, and I believe this dynamic duo will create an experience even greater than the Splash Mountain we know and love. We know that part of the decision is rooted in Disney's mission to bring more diversity and inclusion to the Disney parks, a goal I find to be both incredibly important and wise as we learn to improve the world around us. Beyond even the scope of this part of the decision, the idea itself is brilliant. First of all, I absolutely love Princess and the Frog, which I believe is a highly underrated Disney film. And I have for years shared that Princess Tiana is my favorite Disney princess, her hard work, Bold dreams, family values, and willingness to help others serve as a role model for girls and boys, kids, and adults alike. In addition, the story and setting from Princess and the Frog couldn't fit any better. In Frontierland at Magic Kingdom, the location of Louisiana fits perfectly. On your journey from the Caribbean in Adventureland with Pirates of the Caribbean to the American Southwest at Thunder Mountain, it's literally halfway of that journey, or a little less than halfway, and about halfway of your physical journey at the Magic Kingdom. In Critter Country at Disneyland, the story is also a strong fit given the focus on frogs and other critters in the film. In addition, the mountain itself can easily be reshaped to look like Mama Odie's home and the catchy Randy Newman songs will leave guests singing along just like the existing attraction. Remember that while the story and the characters will, tra- will change, the blueprint for Splash Mountain will remain the same. We'll be able to experience the same ride sequences we know and love, and I have a strong feeling we'll even see familiar animatronic figures as a subtle little Easter egg back to Splash Mountain and thus even to America Sings. Imagine for a second, though, what Disney can do with updated show scene technology. They can virtually transport us into the world of the Princess and the Frog, and I can completely envision the result, an attraction that will honor Walt Disney by continuing his legacy of plussing attractions and keeping them relevant, and will honor Splash Mountain by giving it some magical updates. In the words of Rafiki, Change is good, and I am incredibly excited to see the final result of this change, which at this point has no official timeline, but should likely transpire within the next five years if I were to make a prediction. If you're still skeptical, know that it's not only expected and normal, but also completely fine. Change is good, but it's also difficult. As a Disney historian, I'm in the fortunate position of being able to recall many changes at Disney and know that with some exceptions, the majority of them have been overwhelmingly positive and welcomed by Disney fans at all level of fandoms when they finally do come to life. If I might make a suggestion, I recommend reserving judgment until you experience the final changes in person. As someone who has in the past also been personally upset, When Disney makes a big change to attractions I love, I have learned that the Imagineers really deserve my trust. Like us, they too love these attractions, and they do everything they can to improve upon the existing rides and turn them into experiences they themselves will also want to ride again and again. They too are passionate Disney fans at heart. They have my trust, and I hope that they'll earn yours as well. Since at the time of this recording, Splash Mountain is still of course in its original state, I now want to take you with me for a ride on this iconic attraction. Using the magic of binaural audio, I'll share a 360-degree audio recording I captured back in 2019, which will make it sound like you're back at the Magic Kingdom in Walt Disney World. As always, headphones or earbuds will provide the best audio experience for you, but any audio device should help you to virtually relive the magic of the ride. So now, without further ado, let's head over to Frontierland and experience Splash Mountain. I hmm And with that, we close out episode 98 of the Imagineer podcast. I sincerely hope you enjoyed this episode, learning more about the history and the details of Splash Mountain. I hope you're as excited as I am about the future of this attraction. And I know it's an attraction that all of us know and love well, At whether you're a local to uh, Disneyland Park, the Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World, or even Tokyo Disneyland. Of course, though, I want to turn this conversation over to you and hear what you love most about Splash Mountain. It could be anything about the ride itself, about the storyline or the history or any of the details, the music or anything else that you find to be amazing about this iconic Disney attraction. As always, you can send me your answers and your feedback in many different ways, and I encourage you to connect with me on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and LinkedIn at Imagineer Podcast, on Twitter at Imagineer News, or you can also join our Facebook group, The Imagination, also called the Imagineer Podcast, Disney fan community, to chat not only with me, but with other fans of this listener. Community. And you can also, if you would like, send me an email at Imagineer Podcast at gmail.com. And I would welcome if you want to send me a direct message on any social media platform. I do read each and every message I get, I personally respond to as many as possible. And I always enjoy reading your thoughts and comments, whether it's on a post of your own, if you tag me, or one of uh, Imagine Your Podcast posts, um, or in your stories, whatever else, any other way you'd like to share your feedback. If you don't already subscribe to the show, of course, be sure to hit that subscribe or follow button. Whether you're listening to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or any other podcast app. Course, that ensures that you are the first to know when new podcast episodes become available. I also want to sincerely thank those of you who have taken the time to rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts. It does so much to help this show out really a lot. And I am so grateful that not only to not only read the amazing reviews that come through, and I often will share them to my Instagram and Facebook stories, but To know that we've maintained a five-star rating, of course, I put my heart and soul into this podcast community. It's so great to hear that you're all enjoying it as well. And if there's anything that I can do to continue to improve upon the show, just let me know. Reach out to me. I'm happy to take all ideas and find ways to continue to improve upon it. Five-star rating definitely has kept me motivated to keep moving forward and keep pushing to make this community great for all of you. If you haven't rated and reviewed the show before, as I said, it does a lot to help this community out. It uh, increases our relevance in, in the Apple Podcast Store, which is still one of the top. It's one of the top two podcast apps out there. And it just lets other Disney fans know that this is a great place to go to learn about their favorite Disney attractions. And here's some fun Disney discussions. I certainly hope you've all been enjoying these discussions and continue to do the best I can as we head into the new year. I also would encourage you, one of the best things you could do for the show is to simply share it whether you share out this episode or any other episode of the show or the podcast as a whole your favorite social media post whether you share it in social media or talk about it with your friends or family whatever you do it does also a lot to help this community out If you'd like to take your love of Imagineer podcast to the next level definitely check out our patreon group it really goes to help to support the show financially and i believe no matter what you can contribute if you're willing to reach into your wallet and help the show out you deserve rewards that's why every level of membership has perks and rewards starting at literally just one dollar a month you get perks and rewards uh, all the way up to fifty dollars a month at this point is the highest level of uh membership that we offer Thanks, as always, to our Imagineer Society members. If you are not a member of this Patreon group, you can head to Patreon dot com slash imagineer podcast and patreon is spelled p-a-t-r-e-o-n to learn how you can support the show and what perks and rewards are available just examples include things like early access to every podcast episode access to my podcast production notes you get access to a private facebook group just for members we've been doing a lot of really fun disney plus watch parties which has been so enjoyable monthly video calls bonus podcast episodes and so much more you can learn all about the perks and benefits again by going to patreoncom podcast. I would also encourage you to check out our partners. First take a look at The Kingdom Insider. You can go to learn more about them at thekingdominsider.com or follow The Kingdom Insider on any social media channel. What's great about them is that they share all relevant Disney news and they do it with a great deal of professionalism. They could talk about, or they do talk about how to make the most of your next Disney vacation, how to bring the magic of Disney into your own home. And the great thing about uh, working with them is while I tend to focus on the present at Disney and the past with a little bit of the future, they focus on the present and the future with a little bit of the past, so it's a nice balanced mix. Again, you can follow them at The Kingdom Insider and at TheKingdomInsider.com. And when you're ready to book your next. Disney Vacation, wherever that Disney destination might be, I encourage you to book with our travel partner, Academy Travel, and more specifically, Mickey Vacations by Academy Travel, because they have been doing this for over 25 years. The reason I partner with them is that they are Diamond Earmarked, which is a level of distinction that Disney awards travel agencies. Diamond Earmarked is the highest level of distinction. It's above platinum. It's above all other uh Tears at, at Disney, and they do such a great job at delivering an incredible level of service. They can help you to plan out all the details of your next Disney vacation, do it with a high degree of professionalism. Uh, they can offer some great advice, especially in these times, to plan out your next Disney trip. And the, the other reason I recommend them, besides their level of service, is because just like the Kingdom Insider. Academy Travel is free to you. It doesn't cost you anything extra to book with them. They uh, can offer you a lot of service and can help to even save you money on your next Disney vacation. For you skeptics out there, the reason why it's free to you is because Disney actually pays them when you uh, when they book a vacation or you book a vacation with them. Um, so it, there's really a, it's really a win-win, and I encourage you to learn more about them by either clicking on one of the links in the show notes below. Or if you go to ImagineerPodcast.com and you click on the travel dropdown, you'll see links to all the Disney destinations. You click on any one of those, it'll take you to the form to fill out to request a free quote. There's no obligation for filling that out, but they will get back to you with a free quote for your next Disney vacation. Last but not least, I hope you're doing everything you possibly can to go after your hopes and dreams and to also go after optimism or to choose optimism. It's a subtle hidden message of the show, but life is so much better when you choose to be optimistic. I'm certainly not perfect at it and uh, I'm always working to do better, but always when I have an optimistic point of view, my life's just a lot much better that way. So choose optimism and remember to go after your hopes and dreams, whatever they might be. And remember, as always, that inspiring quote from Horizons. If you can dream it, you can do it. Thank you so much for listening to the show, and we'll see you again in a future episode of The Imagineer Podcast.